This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Some days you just wonder what our society is coming to. No, I'm not talking about Kathleen Wynne yet, but I'll get to that. Trust me, I will get to Kathleen Wynne and why we can't afford her in Ontario. But have you heard the story about The Bachelor in Paradise? This TV show being shut down from production in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Why? I really don't know. The Bachelor returns to paradise. Paradise, let's go! I'm excited for the chaos, because there will be chaos. Chaos, horses! All right, so this is from the trailer that uh, last year's season had. There's going to be chaos, and there's all this backstabbing, and what is The Bachelor in Paradise? I had to look it up. It is a show where they take all the rejects from The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, put them in one big house down in Puerto Vallarta, Fly them with lots of booze, encourage all these narcissistic, beautiful people to hook up, and then, you know, film what ensues. And this is supposed to be entertainment. And I'm thinking, if that is the premise of the show, what, in the name of all that is unholy, could you possibly do to get the show shut down? Well, now we know it is starting to leak out what happened, and apparently it may have involved a non-consensual sexual encounter between a couple of these people that are drunk and in a pool, I have to add. So all of this is being filmed at all times. You've got security. You've got production crews all around. Forget about the fact, before we get to, not forget, before we get to the fact that a woman may have been too drunk to consent and this is happening anyway, they're in a pool. Maybe that was the point where you should have stopped it and said, you guys aren't really walking around all that well. We don't think you should be in a pool. Why doesn't everyone just go to bed? But they want the shot, right? They want the shot. They want the drama. Well, they got it now, and the whole show's shut down. That's the state of our world, so maybe I shouldn't be too shocked at the fact that we still have Kathleen Wynne as our premier, and she's going to continue to try and bleed this province dry and is not even attempting to hide the fact that she is buying next year's election. That's right. She is buying next year's election. How? Because she is giving us everything we could possibly want with our tax dollars, which means we're just going to end up paying higher taxes or having a bigger debt. We are going to be bled dry by this province last week. It was the child care deal. We all know that child care and the right early years programs and supports play a crucial role in a child's healthy development and lifelong success. This week, it is what? A new deal for the Ontario Public Service Employees Union. 35,500 public sector workers are going to get a raise of 7.5% over the next four years. Even the union president, Smokey Thomas, says this is about next year's election. He doesn't care. He's going to get a good a good deal for his people, and that's what they pay him for. So I'm not going to be bothered that Smokey Thomas is happy with the deal. That is like blaming the scorpion for staining you. He wants to get a good deal. 
he's getting one so that Kathleen Wynne can buy the election. Oh, she, she says it's about something much different. I understand that that is the, that's the frame that uh, you might want to put on this. You know, my, my position has always been, since I've, since I've been in elected politics, has been that good working relationships with our labour partners is good for the people of the province. Mm-hmm. And good for your re-election chances based on the fact that in the last election... Ontario's public servants, many of them, various elements of them, ran attack campaigns on Tim Hudak and the progressive conservatives, and you're counting on them doing that next time. Even the Ontario Police Association, the OPP Association, ran ads against Tim Hudak and the conservatives. They ran ads for the liberals. They were on the side of the liberals. The cops, who are normally all about law and order and generally try and steer clear of being too partisan. The cops, the firefighters, the teachers, OPSU, all of them were backing your opponent. So that's why you've come up with this. And don't say that this is all about the the small little raises, that that's all you've been able to offer them for the last while. Lots of Canadians, lots of Ontarians have been dealing with that. One of the things that has been very, very um, consistent in uh, this province over the last nearly a decade, is that we have had to work very hard with our labour partners to keep those increases down. Mm. You haven't kept, uh, you haven't worked hard enough. Not when you look at the rise in teacher salaries over the last bunch of years. Since the Liberals came into power, the spending on education has gone up, almost all of it to salaries, at the same time as enrollment has been going down. Most people don't realise that. Enrollment has been dropping Spending on education rising continuously, continuously. We can't afford to keep Kathleen Wynne and her, you know, merry band of robbers known as the Liberal Party of Ontario in power anymore. We've got them promising free or cheaper daycare, free post-secondary tuition, free prescriptions for your kids, A hydro cut that isn't a hydro cut. It's just delaying and making us pay more down the road. She's also trying to control rent. The minimum wage is going up. Giant rubber duckies. And just, was it today or yesterday, they're going to spend to send around, uh, spend um, a small fortune to send around a bunch of aging rock stars on a festival circuit tour to celebrate Canada 150. At least that I get something out of. You know, I can go to a concert. A giant rubber duck? For Canada 150, we can't afford Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals anymore. I keep trying to talk to the Ontario PCs about getting their act together, and this is why. We need them to be sharp, we need them to be focused, we need them to be on point, or they're not going to win the next election. And we'll either have this again, Kathleen Wynne and her Liberals, or we're going to end up with something worse. It's called the Ontario NDP, and hello, Premier Horvath. Anyone that thinks that that could not happen doesn't remember 1990, doesn't remember 2015 in Alberta, doesn't remember what happened just last week in Britain, where Theresa May went from 20 points up to just about losing to a man who can't even do a high five without slapping his wife in the boobs, and whose own party wanted to chuck him to the curb before the election happened. Patrick Brown and the Ontario PCs 
have to get their act together so that we can get these people who don't have their act together out of office. Can you afford any more rubber ducks? That's the question I have for you right now. we got a great show tonight. We are going to be talking to uh, Justin Trache. He uh, hosts uh, Heads Up, uh, a men's group that they've made the news here in the past, the Canadian Association uh, for Equality. They've made the news here in the past, but now they're making news in Toronto again. You won't believe why. We're talking to him just after 7.30. We've got Richard Curland, my immigration go-to guy, who knows the system better than anybody else. Why? Because of a new report showing that privately sponsored refugees five times more likely to have jobs than government-assisted refugees. And what's the government doing? It's keeping the number of privately sponsored refugees low and the government-sponsored ones higher on purpose. It makes no sense. There's lots of people, that, lots of groups that want to help the private refugees. But you know what? They have their own ideology. So we'll talk to Richard Curland at 8.30. And just after 8 o'clock, Joseph Benemy uh, was the campaign manager for the Brad Trost conservative leadership bid. They've now been fined $50,000. Joseph's going to come in and talk about that. It's been fined $50,000 for sharing, the allegation is, the Conservative Party membership list. And I was just talking with somebody in here who's furious that they got a conservative or a a mailing from the National Firearms Association when they're not a member. Lots of people have received this. Lots of people are angry that their information was shared. Joseph Benemy says it wasn't him. We'll find out more about that. We'll also talk about Donald Trump and the left's attempt to uh, to shut him down uh, with more lawfare. All of that and more. Top five stories you need to know when we come back. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. you need to know well the number one thing you need to know is that kathleen Wynne is trying to buy your way we talked about that in the opening that's normally going to be my top story whatever i rant about at the beginning no you don't need to know about bachelor in paradise to be a well-informed person today but trying to figure out that show might make your head explode now kathleen Wynne is the top story today she's bankrupting the province with Daycare promises, post-secondary tuition promises, prescriptions, hydro cuts, rent control, minimum wage going up, giant rubber duckies, concerts, and now a new deal for OPSU that will see 35,000 public servants get their 7.5% raise and you'll pay the bill. I understand that, that is the, that's the frame that uh, you might want to put on this. You know, my, my position has always been, since I've, since I've been in elected politics, has been that good working relationships with our labour partners is good for the people of the province. It could be good for the people of the province, but then again, um, so could having a balanced budget. So could having a, an economy that works Unfortunately, we don't have that right now. 
Number two in the story you need to know, it is our web poll today at News Talk 580 CFRA. You can go to CFRA.com and vote on the issue. Toronto is going to bring in restrictions on Airbnb rentals. Why? Because they're socialists. That's why. Toronto Mayor John Tory, yes, I know, he used to lead the Ontario PCs. Yes, I know, he used to host a talk show on our sister station in Toronto, News Talk 1010. Yes, I know, John is ostensibly a conservative, but he runs a socialist city where the majority of the councillors are socialists, and then they're all upset that Airbnb is growing in Toronto. So they're going to change the rules, and you're going to have to live in the unit that you're renting out. You can't just have a condo downtown and rent it out via Airbnb anymore. Hotels are presently paying commercial taxes to the city, which is a substantially increased rate of tax over residential taxes, so that a condominium owner who puts his or her a condo into Airbnb is only paying residential taxes, whereas the hotel room that might be three floors below is paying commercial tax. And so the 10% tax um, really doesn't even, I, I don't think, equalize. You know, there are ways to make the system fair. Unfortunately, more regulation and more taxes just seems to be the way that they want to go all the time. It's it's the politician's way. I wish it weren't. Thankfully, it's not your way. And I'd love for you to vote on CFRA.com. You can also vote on CTV Ottawa. And let's face it, they're obviously different audiences, I guess, because the overwhelming majority are voting that, yes, Ottawa should follow Toronto's lead and restrict Airbnb rentals. Right now, it's 57% are voting no at CFRA.com, 43% voting yes. It's about the reverse over at CTV News Ottawa. So, you know, vote on one of them and let your voice be heard. Story number three that you need to know, it is, well, once again, the left throwing a hissy fit because they didn't get their way. Two states, well, one state and uh, two attorney generals, um, one state and uh, the District of Columbia are launching a lawsuit against Donald Trump. Why? They say he's breaking the Constitution. This is an issue that had already been dealt with as far as I'm concerned. They call it the annulment clause. Annulment clause. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but they're claiming that Trump is essentially taking bribes from foreign leaders, payments from foreign leaders, therefore he can't be president. And what do they base this on? Sometimes foreign governments or their agents stay in hotels owned by Trump. And they view that as foreign governments paying him. Not a commercial transaction. Foreign governments paying him. Brian Frosch is the fool of, Mar I'm sorry, the attorney general in Maryland and is one of the people leading up the charge here. He doubled the fees at Mar-a-Lago after he was elected from $100,000 to $200,000. He hosts foreign leaders there using the trappings of the presidency to heighten its profile. And there's nothing against the law in what he's doing. But the left can't actually stand anyone who's not of their tribe winning. And so they're going after Donald Trump again with another form of lawfare. Story number four that you need to know about, and this is really something important for this region because Ottawa opened up its hearts in taking in so many Syrian refugees. And now a report shows, and we'll get into this with Richard Curland in just about 
just over an hour, it shows that 9 in 10 Syrian refugees sponsored by the Trudeau government are unemployed. This was a document uh, prepared by Immigration and Refugee Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada. Sorry, they change their name all the time. They found that 53% of privately sponsored Syrian refugees able to find work in Canada compared to just 10% of government-sponsored refugees. Doesn't that tell you something? Doesn't that mean that maybe we should change the way we're doing it? Instead, they're going ahead bringing in more refugees and not going the private sponsorship route. There are people lined up that want to do this. They're not going to do it. And then finally, of course, last night, what was it? What was it that uh, was the big sports story last night? The Stanley Cup. Pittsburgh Penguins defeated the Nashville Predators 2-0. We'll talk about that with Elsie later on because I think the Predators got robbed. Crosby was uh, was asked if he was thinking about a three-peat after the, uh, after the game. He's going to enjoy this one. Um... I can't imagine how difficult that is, knowing uh, how difficult it was to get to this point. But uh, we'll do our best. We'll enjoy this one for a bit. First team to depeat? <laughs> first, first team to repeat since uh, the early 1990s. That wraps the five things you need to know. Coming up next, we'll speak with Justin Trache about why a group that just says they want equality for male victims of spousal violence is being described as a hate group. Back after this. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. You remember back a few months now, back to late 2016, there was an attempt to show a movie here in Ottawa. The movie was called The Red Pill, and it was canceled. The Mayfair Theater had been rented out, and it was canceled because people complained, and the business owner uh, said he had major sponsors who threatened and said, if you show this movie, we are going to pull our sponsorship. Well, it ended up being screened at City Hall. I was there for part of it. It was a packed group. And there was nothing to be worried about in the movie, nothing so controversial. But the people behind that movie, or at least behind the screening of it, were that was the Canadian Association for Equality, or CAFE. They are a men's rights group. And they're in the news once again, this time in Toronto. Why? Because Ryerson's field placement coordinator, Heather Bain, has told a 24-year-old social work student that she can't do her third-year placement with the Canadian Association for Equality and their Canadian Centre for Men and Families, the first shelter ever set up for male victims of domestic assault. Why? Justin Trache heads up the Canadian Association for Equality, joins us on the line from Toronto now. Uh, Justin, thanks for the time. Pleasure to join you. You have been described once again as, I'm, I'm just looking for the quote now, 
D- does Miss Bain call you a hate group? Well, if she doesn't, then um, there are lots of other people who uh, might choose to use that pejorative way of describing us. And I should say we're the furthest thing from a hate group. Uh, we're not even a men's rights association. We describe ourselves as a human rights organization, as a pro-equality organization. We work with both men and women. Both men and women lead the organization, and we do a whole variety of services and programs that provide uh, mental health support, that provide legal assistance to people who can't afford access to justice. We have a number of father involvement programs to keep fathers and children uh, united, to keep family relationships strong in the event of a family breakdown. We, as you indicated earlier, uh, provide services. We may be the only game in town when it comes to services for male victims of domestic abuse. In some of these cases, we're providing um, life-changing support that isn't available elsewhere in our community. That's, in fact, the things that we do. Uh, but people, uh, I think in ignorance, uh, they think very differently about us. So with everything that you just described there, why would someone who helps play social work students or any of the other people, social justice writers that have written about you, decided to uh, you know, w as a, a group that hates women. Well, I think it actually says more about them than it does about us. Quite frankly, um, if you could shrug your shoulders at the mere suggestion of a men's support group and conclude without doing any investigation that this group must hate women, um, I think it maybe shows that you have a lot of antagonism, perhaps towards towards men, certainly towards groups that support men. Um, And it does get a little bit exhausting to have to answer the same completely unfounded charges. I tell you, we do have our opponents, and I am forever inviting them to come visit us and see the programs in action, see the counseling that we do, uh, see the fathering programs that we run, see the peer support groups that are facilitated by male and female therapists and social workers, actually find out what it is that they're critiquing. And I can tell you with respect to this Ryerson professor, you know, she chose not to come to the events we've done at Ryerson. Uh, one notable event was actually on men's on the crisis of men's mental health. If she had chosen to attend, she would have seen a panel of eight prominent members of the Toronto mental health community, people from uh, Legal Aid Ontario's mental health strategy, uh, that's um, uh, lawyers who, who also at the same time care about the mental health of their clients. They were represented. We had folks representing the Native Child and Family Services, um, supporting Indigenous men, uh, we had somebody coming from Peel Family Services who was part of that panel, and they work with male sexual abuse victims. So this was a panel of extremely uh, prominent organizational representatives, and that was our keynote event at Ryerson University. Does that sound like the keynote event for a hate group? Um, but instead of attending events like that, and we do these events regularly, instead of calling me up or visiting the uh, Center for Men and Families where we provide these life-changing programs, uh, she decided to tell her student that she couldn't have any anything to do with these with these uh, these kinds of agencies, and I think that's really to the disadvantage of the Ryerson community because it deprives them of, I think, some very valuable placement experiences. Well, they did give her a, a coloring book entitled "We Believe You" um, for uh, victims of sexual violence. So, um, <clears throat> you know, they denied her the placement she wanted, but at least they gave her a col- coloring book. Look, well, she got something out of yeah. it. Yeah. It's also bizarre. They um, This is from a Sue Ann Levy column in the Toronto Sun, by the way. Uh, it also turns out that uh, another student wanted to go to a, a Jewish community center to work, or the United Jewish Appeal was turned down because they have anti-Palestinian leanings. So this person is using their position to impose their politics 
on the student body at Ryerson. And I'm guessing that it happens in other places. But back to what you guys are doing, speaking with Justin Tranche, he is the, the president and CEO, CEO of the um, uh, Canadian Association for Equality, and they run a men's centre for fit victims of domestic assault in Toronto. There, there isn't one in Ottawa yet, is there, Justin? There soon will be something akin to what we've done in Toronto. And what we do here is we certainly, you're right, support male victims of domestic abuse with counseling and access to legal aid and access to shelters and things like that. We also do much more than that. So we support men dealing with a variety of mental health issues. Yeah. We help fathers in a family breakup situation. Well, and, 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 and I want to touch on that mental health bit because you've mentioned yeah, sure. that a couple of times. And for all the talk about uh, stopping suicide, being worried about suicide, so on and so forth. Uh, we, we focus on teens, and obviously parents focus on teens because it is, uh, they're, they're worried about their children. But there is not a focus from anywhere on middle-aged men. And it was shocking to me a few years ago. I was interviewing a, a fellow named Fred Litwin who said, Brian, you're missing the point. The point is middle-aged men are the most likely to try or the most likely to commit suicide. And they don't just try, they do it. And it, it is because of stress. It is because of mental health. It is all of these things. You're on the front lines of this. Well, this is why I'm so pleased that we're gaining traction. And despite the kind of opposition that we do continue to face, Actually, the programs that we provide, programs like suicide prevention, mental health support, are getting a lot of support from the community. We get referrals from hospitals and mental health clinics all the time. So we're doing something right. And to answer your question, we will be setting up an office to provide the same support in Ottawa and, and hopefully soon in other communities across Canada. Um, but you're right. For at every age bracket, the rates of suicide are significantly higher for men than for women. Um, in some cases, it peaks at three to four times the rate in terms of males committing suicide compared to females, and especially in the context of family breakup, um, because men tend to put sort of all of their their relationships, uh, all of their, their friendships and their relationships are kind of combined into the relationship that they have with their spouse. If they lose that, it's, it's a major shock to them. Differently for women, women tend to have just larger kind of social networks, but for men, it's basically confined very much so to their, to their female uh, partner. So uh, in the context of family breakup, that's a real stressor on a man. And that is one of the factors leading to that that high rate of, of suicide. So that's where we're trying to intervene and do something to lower that rate. Do make sure that uh, that as you're getting close to um, uh, bringing something forward, I, I don't know when your next event in Ottawa is going to be, whether it's going to be another movie screening or a lecture or an event, but make sure that, uh, that, that you send me a heads up. And, uh, and let us know when this office that you're hoping to, to get going is, is nearing fruition because I'd uh, love to find out more, love to be able to tell people. Absolutely. I get heartbreaking, heartbreaking stories sent to me from uh, fathers who've gone through family breakdown and, and the situation that they're in on an almost daily basis. So I, I understand. So September 9th is the date to mark in your calendar. That will be the grand opening for the Center for Men and Families in Ottawa. We've actually just signed a lease about a week ago, so we're all okay. very excited on our end. Um, and we've been painting walls and building uh, 
uh, you know, putting in new floors and just getting the place ready uh, for business. And um, we're just in the process now of getting those programs and services underway. And that's what people really care about is what are the services we're going to provide in Ottawa, legal assistance and mental health and counseling and fathering programs and all of that good stuff that for, uh, for the most part doesn't really exist um, in Ottawa, just as it didn't exist in Toronto, amazingly, um, until uh, we opened our doors. And now we've brought, I think, hope and support to hundreds of clients. I know in Toronto, for sure, the same will, will happen in Ottawa. Um, so it's an exciting period of time. And I, I'm glad to kind of leave this uh, on, a, on a more positive note. Just We actually are making a difference. I really believe it. All right. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for the time. All thanks the best. So much, uh, just it. quickly, where can people find out more? The website would be www.menandfamilies.org. Menandfamilies.org. All right, thanks so much. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Coming up just after 8, we're going to talk to uh, to Joseph Benemy, who headed up the Brad Trost campaign about the allegation that his client was, well, doing things he shouldn't have with the list. And at 8.30, we're going to talk with Richard Curland about this troubling story of refugees coming uh, through the government program being much less likely to have a job than those that came through private sponsorship. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this. On a warm summer's evening On a train bound for nowhere Met up with a gambler we were both too tired to sleep, so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness. The boredom overtook us, and he began to speak. He said, son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces, knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes. So if you don't mind my saying, I can see you're out of aces. For a taste of your whiskey, I'll give you some advice. So There's always a reason to play Kenny Rogers, including the fact that, well, I may or may not be craving chicken, and there's no Kenny Rogers roasters around here, is there? Anyway, don't get me started on chicken, I'll just go off on a tangent. If you heard that ad, you might be like me, saying, did that ad just say Kenny Rogers is going to play? At the jazz festival? And it turns out he is. I thought about going to see Kenny a couple of years ago. He was playing a casino just the other side on the, the U.S. side. I thought, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Couldn't arrange it, but thought about it. Now he's coming to Ottawa. It's going to be jazz fest. That'll be interesting. Donald Trump. A couple of news stories related to Donald Trump that are uh, worth pointing out right now. One is... Now, that's the Bachelor in Paradise story I printed off. Uh, one is that, well, there's a coal mine that's opened up in Pennsylvania again. That's right. Corsa Coal Company is going to operate a mine in Somerset County, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh. He said the mine will be a boon to the struggling local economy, and he praised Trump's easing of regulations and encouragement for fossil fuel exploration. 70 positions available at the mine, 400 people applied. Then there's a story of Delta and Bank of America dropping their sponsorship of Shakespeare in the Park over a Julius Caesar performance that includes an uh, assassination 
of Donald Trump. They portrayed him as the president, the current sitting president. We all know what happens in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. But to turn around and, and make that the, the president? That seems like you're going over the edge. But that's okay. The left is all about going over the edge. They, they are unhinged at the fact that Donald Trump is the president. They can't accept that their beloved Hillary, beloved by no one, not even the Democrats, lost the election. And so they continue to fight and push and try and do anything they can to stop him. And the latest is they are launching a lawsuit. Maryland and D.C. Attorneys General sue Trump over business ties. This from the Associated Press. The Attorneys General of Maryland and the District of Columbia filed a federal lawsuit Monday against President Donald Trump, alleging he violated the Constitution by retaining ties to his sprawling global business empire and by accepting foreign payments while in office. Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch joined district counterpart Carl Racine, Democrats both, I want to point out, at a news conference in announcing the lawsuit filed in U.S. District Court in neighboring Maryland. Much of the case is focused on allegations that Trump's real estate and business holdings violate a little-known emolument clause of the Constitution. The provision bars the president and other government employees from accepting foreign gifts and payments without congressional approval. So they're saying that if a foreign government, you know, an ambassador, a visiting minister stays at a Trump hotel anywhere in the world, that is him accepting foreign gifts and payments. This is a clause that was put in there to try and stop foreign governments from being able to bribe the president of the fledging nation. It was not put in to say, and the president can't own a hotel that somebody stays at. Doesn't matter. Frosch and Racine are just going at this because it is lawfare. They can't do warfare. They're not going to start a revolution, but they're going to use lawfare, which is essentially a nuisance suit designed to distract the president and his advisors and his associates, and they've got to deal with this, and it takes them away from being able to Focus all their time on implementing their agenda. Frosch says this is because of that emoluments clause. He needs to have congressional approval anytime these foreign leaders stay at one of his hotels. Never in our history has a president maintained a domestic and international business empire where his personal interests are tangled up with the policy interests of our country or where those personal interests could affect decisions about every aspect of American life. Every aspect of American life. It's a hotel room. Get a grip. Frosch says that uh, too many of Trump's personal interests are tangled up with U.S. policy interests. Our constituents must know that a president who orders their sons and daughters into harm's way is not acting out of concern for his own business. They must know that we will not enter into a treaty with another nation because the president owns a golf course there. Uh-huh. This is what he actually thinks of his president. 
I'll admit that there are ties that were concerns that could be raised. But to say that this is a violation of the Constitution is absolute insanity or, quite simply, just more of that lawfare that I was telling you about. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, eh, he's shrugging it off. He's dismissing it as another partisan attack on Trump, which it is. This lawsuit today is just another iteration of the, the case that was filed by uh, that group crew, um, filed actually by the same lawyers. So it's not hard to conclude that partisan politics may be one of the motivations behind the seat. Not hard at all. This is the leftist playbook. These are the Alinsky tactics. This is what we're going to see for the next four years, eight years if he wins the second term, or it'll just continue on if another Republican wins in the next election. They will not accept the will of the people. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, we'll talk about the, well, the people that are angry at the Trost campaign and the National Firearms Association. But Joseph Benemy, campaign manager for Brad Trost, is going to come in and tell us his side of the story. Back after this. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. She's a trailblazer of many sorts. Uh, first uh, female Chief Justice. She comes from my province of British Columbia, where she's served longer than I believe any justice uh, has uh, on the Supreme Court. She has helped us as a country define and advance and develop the law and our Constitution. That is Federal Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould waxing poetic about Beverly McLaughlin. She has announced that um, she is resigning. And her mandatory retirement date would be September 7th. She's going to of next year, uh, but she's going to step down. She's been on the Supreme Court for 28 years and I believe Chief Justice for 17. When I heard the news today, I really wanted to celebrate that Beverly McLaughlin was leaving the Supreme Court. And then I remembered who's going to pick her replacement. You know, one thing that we have to figure out is how to make the Supreme Court an issue in elections, because the Supreme Court is populated by baffy people and we need solid candidates. Unfortunately, Stephen Harper didn't give us many. Uh, his appointments, he, despite all the claims by Justin Trudeau and the like, that they were all highly, everyone, everything Stephen Harper did was hyper-partisan. He wasn't interested in appointing people that agreed with his politics to the Supreme Court. So, you know, we ended up with some really bad picks by Stephen Harper. Even some of his closest, most ardent supporters will admit that. We need to figure out how to make that an issue going forward in election campaigns. Now, the conservatives, of course, have picked a new leader. That is Andrew Scheer. The surprise of the campaign for many was that Brad Trost did so well. And I'll admit that I thought Brad Trost was going to surprise the heck out of an awful lot of people, but not that he was going to finish in fourth and be one of the kingmakers, at, or his supporters were, at the convention in Toronto two weeks ago. Despite the fact that Trost's campaign didn't win, it's still in the news. Why? 
because the party says that Brad Trost or someone in his campaign broke the rules and leaked the conservative party membership list to the National Firearms Association. So they're fining them $50,000 because the NFA went and mailed out, I don't know if they mailed everybody on the list, but they've emailed at least a good chunk of it against the rules. Joseph Benemy was Brad Trost's campaign manager. He's in studio with me now. Joseph, you guys are being dinged 50 grand and you don't even really have a choice on whether to pay it because they already have the money and it's held and you don't get it back if you don't follow the rules. So they're saying you didn't follow the rules. You leaked the list. What are you saying? Well, it's absurd that we leaked the list. And uh, and, and thanks very much for having me on tonight, Brian. I appreciate it. Um, and for the nice things you said about the campaign as well. It was uh, seemed to surprise everybody but us. We, we knew we were going to do pretty much exactly where we ended up. So I, I thought you were was, going to do well. It, it and, was, and you and I talked at various times in the campaign. I had Brad on several times. I thought, of it, you know, Brad's going to surprise. I thought Pierre Lemieux was going to surprise. Both of them did. Yes. But you well, you guys were, you know, it was a stellar campaign for many reasons. It, it was a great campaign. We had a great candidate. We had a very good team, solid team, very experienced. Um, and uh, we did a lot of things right. We There's some things we didn't do right. We'd like to go back and correct. But we did a lot of things right. And as I say, we had a great candidate. So we're very happy so, with where we ended up. How did the party end up saying... You leaked the list. How on earth would they know when every campaign has a copy of the list? Right. Well, there, there's a standard practice uh, when uh, when these lists are distributed to uh, different entities within a, a leadership campaign. So in this case, the different leadership campaigns. Uh, and so when the party distributes the lists to the campaign, they they before distributing the list, they insert into each individual package that's being distributed to the individual campaigns, unique uh, information, um, false names, if you will, or names that are spelt in a certain way or names that are sent to a particular address uh, that are, are, are only in that particular list. So in the list that we received from the, political, from the party, uh, there would have been uh, names or data that was unique to that list that if the list was used for any purpose – that information, the, the, the mail, the email, the te- phone call would have gone to that false information. Right. So, for example, if it's me, it might have, you know, on one list it would say Brian Lilly and my address. On another it might say James Lilly. It would use my middle name or mix, mix things up in some way so that they know, okay, that came from the list we gave to Brad Trost. Right. That's exactly right. So that that is that's how the party would have known uh, that any particular list was being used for any particular purpose, authorized or unauthorized. And you know, for the record, um, we're we're not our campaign isn't isn't taking issue with the uh, the conclusion that the list that the National Firearms Association has in its possession and has used is in fact the same list that the Brad Trost campaign was given by the party. Did so, you give them the list? No, absolutely not. Did, did anyone else on the campaign? How many people yeah. had access to it uh, there on, on your been, campaign? Yeah, there would have been a small number of people, uh, six or seven, maybe as many as eight, uh, uh, all told. Um, but look, we were collaborating with the party when when they they informed us that they uh, that they felt that or they believed they had evidence that the list was our list. And I want to stress that 
I'm taking them at their word at this because they've never actually presented any evidence to us, in spite of the fact that we did ask them to provide it to us so we could just verify for, uh, to satisfy, satisfy ourselves. Um, but for the sake of argument, we're prepared to, and for the sake of collaboration, we're prepared to accept that the list was the same list as, as was given to us. Uh, so when that was presented to us, uh, we're, we take this seriously too. We're upset that this happened. It's certainly, we're very upset that it would have happened allegedly in our name. So we conducted our own internal investigation. Uh, we interviewed those individuals that had access to any part of the list in any iteration at any time during the campaign. Um, uh, uh, we, and, and these were in-depth interviews. They weren't just, did you do it? Yes, no, none of that. I mean, we're very in-depth um, we uh, examined our security logs. We examined all of our of our communications logs, uh, and we simply were unable to find any corroborating evidence. Now you uh, know that a lot of people are angry. Of course, and so are we. Yeah, you know, they're getting mailings and uh, from a group that they they didn't join. They 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 trusted the Conservative Party with their name and correct. information, and the party trusted the campaigns. And then you know they're getting a mail-out from some organization they have nothing to do with. Right. And well, they're probably worried they'll continue to get that sort of thing. And, and, that's, and, and, and that's why we're upset as well. Um, uh, I'm a member of the party. I got a mailing as well. I know that my personal information is out there being used in an unauthorized uh, a sense, and we certainly don't endorse this uh, from our campaign's point of view. It's wrong. We want to get to the bottom of it. But here's why it's not us. There are three reasons why it's not us, Brian. The first one, as I've already said, um, this, the, the practice that we just discussed about inserting false data into the list is a practice called salting. Okay, uh, this may come as a surprise to some of the people, party young people at party headquarters who thought they were very clever in how they were arranging things. But the fact is that salting lists has been around since the 1960s. Um, I've done it. We do it when we distribute lists to anyone. Um, uh, uh, political parties do it standard to us. They don't have to tell us. It's a given that it's done. And if they haven't done it, we certainly assume they've done it. So it's simply nonsense to suggest that if we were going to leak a list to anyone, we would have leaked a list that we knew was salted and that we would have come back on us if, the par if an investigation had been done. So, of course, we're not going to do that. If we're going to leak a list, we're going to find a way to obtain somebody else's list and that's what we're going to leak. So it's not plausible for starters. Second reason, uh, Brian, uh, there was no quid pro quo. For, it, there's, there's, there's not enough money. I mean, what's the allegation? Someone got paid $5,000, $50,000. The campaign got this money for, for a list. There's far more money. If you want to look at just dollars and cents, there's far more money um, uh, at stake for a campaign and for a, uh, a, a leader and for the campaign team in winning. So you can't pay us enough money to obtain that list from us because what, what we would accept, we would accept if we were going to do it as a quid pro quo is give us a, give us top rating. But the National Firearms Association didn't give us top rating. They gave Aaron O'Toole's campaign top rating. We were number four. So there's no quid pro quo. There's no suggested quid pro quo. There's no allegation there. The third thing is this. People are automatically assuming that if it was the Brad Trost list, it must come from Brad Trost because the Brad Trost campaign obviously had it. Mm -hmm. But that's not true because the Brad Trost campaign is not the only entity that had access to that list and that data. Who else data. did? 
Well, the party did. We obtained that list from party headquarters. So, so to automatically jump to the conclusion, as the party mm-hmm. seems to have done here, that, uh, that because it was a Brad Trost list, it came from the Brad Trost campaign. Well, I, I immediately just, assumed that it was actually the Aaron O'Toole campaign because Fred DeLore, uh, his campaign manager, works with the NFA. Um, you know, Fred said no. He had nothing to do with it. Well, let me let me lay out a scenario, okay? And and I want to stress, I have no reason to believe that this is the case. I'm not suggesting it's the case. So you know, Fred, if you're listening, don't take this the wrong way. We're not suggesting, or Aaron, we're not suggesting that you guys were were culpable in any way, shape, or form in this. I'm just laying out a, a, a scenario, a scenario where, let's say, uh, Fred Delory says. Um, uh, I, I've, I work for the National Firearms Association. I want to help them out. I'm the former director of political operations for the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to do what I just said we would have done if we were so inclined. I'm going to get from one of my former staff friends or subordinates uh, at party headquarters. I'll get a list of the party of, for, uh, that I can pass on to, 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 uh, to uh, my friends at the Firearms Association. Uh, and uh, so he would do that. Someone would give him the list or would give him the data, the false data, and pass on the false data for the, for the, for the Brad Trost campaign because that's how you misdirect. Now, I'm not saying that happened. I'm not suggesting it happened. I don't want anybody to come back and say, that well, that's have possible. Happened. Somebody could have just leaked it from party headquarters. It, and for them, it would have it, made sense to do it for or, financial benefit. Or, hey, it could have been a hack. And there's no evidence. We looked for evidence of a hack in our in our data um, uh, security not, logs, and there was nothing from us. Could have been a hack from party headquarters. Not not saying it was the Russians, <laughs> but I mean, let's face it, that's out there. Um, what does this mean for for your campaign? They keep the fifty thousand. Does that leave the campaign well, in in the red if they keep it? Well, let's let's first of all say that that this outcome, this where we're standing now, where we have this um, conviction. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the process of reaching that conclusion. Okay, then uh, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back. Speaking with Joseph Benemis, the campaign manager for the Brad Trost campaign. I know I heard from a lot of angry people about this, so let's continue to talk. Back in moments. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. Speaking with Joseph Benemis, the campaign manager for the Brad Trost campaign, they've been fined $50,000. Why? Because the National Firearms Association got a copy of the list that the Trost campaign had and mailed out a firearm survey to a whole bunch of people that are really angry at the party now. But as you've heard Joseph say already, he says it wasn't him. It wasn't anybody on the Trost campaign. But you're upset at the party over how they handled this and decided to define you. Why? Well, Brian... First things first, we were we were collaborating with the party. We were when when we heard that the list was the same as the one we had, uh, and and I just want to stress that that doesn't mean it was our list. That's just the same list, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, that that the party had that they created for us. Um, uh, but when they approached us and they said, you know, we had they had information to suggest that it was from that li- that it was that list. Uh, we were very upset. We conducted an inter- in, uh, our our investigation. We came back. There was no evidence. 
We got back in touch with the party. We explained that to them. We outlined what we'd done. Um, and, and then we asked them to give us further information so that we could um, uh, investigate a little bit more deeply. Uh, why? Because we're outraged that this has happened as well. We're just as upset as anybody else. Uh, and uh, uh, and once that happened, and then all of a sudden, we weren't hearing anything from the party. Uh, and, uh, and, and this, uh, we wrote to the party um, outlining the steps that we had taken um, uh, on, uh, uh, we sent them, uh, not this past Sunday, but the last Sunday, that would have been not the uh, 11th, but whatever the date was. And, uh, and we, yeah, it would and have been the fourth. Okay. The fourth. And, and we asked them, uh, again, we're all collaborating. We're all very respectful. We're all working as a team together to get to the bottom of this on behalf of our members. Uh, and, uh, and we asked them to provide us with further information. And that was on, on the, that, that Sunday. Uh, and then we didn't hear anything back from them, except for an acknowledgement that they'd received our, our, our correspondence. Uh, and, and then uh, we haven't heard back from them. We haven't heard back from them. We're scratching our heads because we want to get on with this to get to the bottom of it. And then on Thursday afternoon, uh, that would have been the 8th, um, I got a phone call from a CBC reporter. Somebody with the leadership committee had uh, leaked information. They had leaked the letter that we had our last correspondence with the party. Um, so we were a little surprised at that. And and then the reporter told me that LEOC, the Leadership um, Rules Committee, uh, was meeting to discuss the matter that evening uh, by conference call. The, the, the press knew about this. We didn't know about it. It was the first I'd heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, it, it, was, it, it was a big surprise to us because we weren't invited to participate in the meeting. We weren't informed and, that they were then, having a meeting. when did you find out you were getting fined? The next day, um, uh, my deputy campaign manager, Russ Kuykendall, and I were, were traveling to Toronto for, for conferences over the weekend. Uh, and uh, Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon, we got an email from the party saying that they had uh, had their meeting. They decided that we were guilty uh, and, uh, and that we'd been fined $50,000. And, you know, to their credit, I guess, they said, well, you can appeal the decision. Okay, that was, I was going to ask. We got about 45 seconds left. Can you appeal? Will you appeal? Uh, well, there's a principle in this country of you're innocent until proven guilty, uh, and we haven't even had a proper trial. The, the, the trial was conducted in secret. We, we never had access to evidence. Um, we were never called to give our side of anything or to explain anything. Uh, they simply closed the doors without informing us, um, heard whatever testimony they heard, uh, and fined us. So we have a lot of options, including some legal options on the table. Uh, 50 grand's a lot of money for... Anybody, any campaign to, it, to lose. It, it is. But this is, I just want to stress, this is the most troubling thing about this is the absolute lack of due process that, that ha- went on here. Um, we should have been informed of, 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 a, of, a, of this trial or hearing, and we weren't. And there's something deeply disturbing uh, in our party uh, leadership, and I don't mean by this Andrew Scheer, I mean the administrative leadership, where they would do secret trials um, uh, of of any member or any campaign, well, um, and and impose a fine on them, and that's simply unacceptable. Let us know how the appeal goes, Joseph Benemy. Thanks for the time. I'm Thank Brian you. Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll be back after this with uh, Richard Curlin. Shocking stats. You just won't believe them. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA.
From the beginning, I called Justin Trudeau's plan to bring in 25,000 Syrian refugees in very short order the refugee rush. It was an ill-thought-out plan that was more about self-aggrandizement than anything else. Why, why, why can I say that? Because he made sure to be there for all the photo ops and selfies at the beginning. And then he walked away from the people that he was bringing in. They rushed them in, warehoused them in hotels. Imagine living for two months in a hotel in a room and, and you've got five kids. With, not unusual for the families that we brought over. And you've got to keep them entertained in a new country where you don't know anyone and you were promised all these things and you land and they say, okay, we told you you'd have a house, but it's not going to be ready for two months. Here's a hotel room to stay in. Doesn't actually sound like all that much fun. Then they fell down on the job training. They did not deliver. They fell down on the language training that was promised. These people were promised the sun, the moon, and the stars, the government-assisted refugees. And it didn't materialize. Well, Candace Malcolm, in a column in the Toronto Sun today, is talking about a ministerial briefing document from January 26, 17, at the Department of Immigration, Refugees, Citizenship, Canada. It surveys how they're doing and found that when it comes to finding a job, one of the most important things for any family to be self-sufficient This survey, which was actually completed, uh, the impact evaluation was completed November 2016, so about a full year after the whole program had started, 53% of privately sponsored refugees were able to find work compared to just 10% of government-sponsored refugees. 53% versus 10%. The privately sponsored, five times more likely to be able to find employment. And yet, even today, the government is insisting on bringing over more government-sponsored refugees while private groups, there are private groups here in Ottawa, there's private groups everywhere, they're screaming, they're saying, hey, let us help. We want to help. We want to participate. We want to help give people a new life, a better life. And the government's saying, no, the government will do it. That's Justin Trudeau's position. Not a wise one, in my view. Well, the go-to guy for me when it comes to immigration is Richard Curlin. He's a a lawyer, immigration lawyer out in Vancouver. He's the guy I turn to uh, for questions on all of this. So, Richard, my question to you is why is it that these government-sponsored refugees are having such a horrible time finding jobs compared to the privately-sponsored refugees? Well, two main reasons. One, the government-sponsored refugees uh, often are sad cases. Uh, These are vulnerable individuals with lots of problems, health problems, mental problems, language problems. And so uh, the nature of their person is such that they're they're, uh, almost unemployable in in, in significant numbers. But the other reason... uh, Wait a minute, we're bringing over... 40,000 mostly government-sponsored refugees, and you're saying a good chunk of them are unemployable? Well, uh, there are some that are too young, too old, or are missing limbs, or have severe post-traumatic stress syndrome. Uh, These are are not pleasant cases, but they do not represent the majority of uh, the the, the government-sponsored refugees. Okay, so 53% of privately-sponsored Syrian refugees, though, 
have been mm. able to find work in Canada, just 10% from the government sponsored. Uh, there yeah. were, is it more than just the profile? Is it how they're brought in as well? Oh, you bet. In oh, terms of you've got a bureaucrat that's in charge of their 50 cases versus <laughs> a, a community that's in charge of one family? Well, look at, look at it from the 10,000-meter view, the 30,000-foot view. If it's a government-sponsored refugee, where's the private social contact? Where are the connections within the community on the ground that can link the refugee to employment? That's available with private-sponsored refugees because not only do the sponsors pony up $50,000, uh, to support that refugee for 12 months, the obligation morally extends to more than money. So hearts are open, homes are open, friend networks are transplanted, jobs are found by the private sponsors. Not so when it comes to government sponsors, because that's not the obligation. Government sponsors hands off the refugee case to other uh, taxpayer-funded institutions. Private-sponsored refugees don't do this. And so no surprise to see that when you have a private-sponsored refugee, uh, you get service, if you're that refugee, for a lot longer than the 12-month legal period. Uh, so privately-sponsored refugees can access these private networks without a taxpayer's dime uh, in excess of the 12-month period of support. So you know, for me, it's a no-brainer. Even if they're not getting money from their, their sponsors, they might be getting support in other ways, such as oh, introductions, contacts, social support, all of that. But look, we've got groups across this city, across this region, across the country, Richard, mm. who have been saying, let us help you with this refugee resettlement. And they were told no. <laughs> Groups were even coming forward and saying, we will help the government-sponsored refugees. And they were told, don't, you're not allowed to, they're our responsibility. And, and, and so we see, leave them floundering. And, and you know, look. Makes no sense. No. And the good thing is that this was brought to the attention right here in British Columbia uh, to Member of Parliament Joyce Murray. And uh, she brought together prospective employer associations with uh, persons such as myself to find a cure to this mess. And it's so simple. All you have to do is, <laughs> if you're Ottawa, know which government refugees, sponsored refugees, are arriving and when, and 30 days before the plane hits tarmac in Canada, you call up the private-sponsored refugee group, mm -hmm. the wannabe sponsors, and say, guess what? In 30 days, we got a case for you. You want it? And if they do, you, you have that privately-sponsored group refugee group, uh, sign the papers and take legal responsibility for the government-sponsored Okay, refugees. so they're moving away, and you hinted at this in an email to me earlier today, and I wasn't quite figuring it out, hmm. because previously they had been telling people back away from our refugees. They're ours. It, it seemed like an ownership thing. No, no, get away. But now you're saying they're willing to work with the private groups. 
Well, that's what we're. This is the the, the a policy pitch to Ottawa, and uh, they can the government can keep keep the government uh, sponsored refugee label, add on another label, post landing private sponsored refugee, make up some name. But the bottom line is yes, continue with government sponsored refugee selection and entry to Canada with the government sponsored refugee label. But allow the thousands of groups and individuals in this country who don't want to wait three and four years until they see their quote-unquote refugee arrive, but can help someone in 30 days at no cost to government. Now, that, I mean, that's just a fantastic bit of news because, look, um, if the people are coming here, we have to want them to be successful. Otherwise, they're going to end up a burden on society. They're going to have more problems because if they if they don't have the contacts, if they don't have the jobs, if they don't have the language, and let's face it, the government botched the language training portion on the Syrian refugee uh, experiment. Most of them weren't getting the, the language training. Therefore, the, the whole job training and job prospects wouldn't do very well if you can't speak English or French. So if these yeah. people aren't being successful... It's going to lead them to a bad place, and it's not going to to help society having people that are unemployed, depressed, and yeah. using social services. And, and provincial services at that. And so this policy notion to allow private sponsors help government-selected refugees is a win for all concern. It saves the province money, it saves the feds money eventually, and it certainly helps the refugees, and it warms the hearts of the private sponsors whose number one problem is we don't have a refugee to take care of. Is that ludicrous or what? I'm going to contact uh, Refugee 613, the local organization, uh, find out what's going on, or if any of them are are listening, you can drop me a line, beyondthenews at CFRA.com. Richard, uh, thanks as always for your insight. Uh, As I always say, you know more about the system than anybody else. (laughs) Always a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, Brian. Richard Curlin joining us from Vancouver. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this. To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Schultz with a shot wide, comes hard off the end boards, and it's knocked in by Patrick Hornquist with a minute 35 remaining, giving the Pittsburgh Penguins a 1-0 lead. Nashville was robbed. There, I said it. They was robbed. Not saying Pittsburgh didn't play a great game. They did. It was tight hockey all the way through. But Nashville scored a goal. It was disallowed because the whistle had been blown. The whistle was blown because the ref thought the puck was dead. It wasn't. It was live. And they put it in the back of the net. It should have been one nothing for Nashville at that point. Very different game if that was the case. Elsie, 
Where do you stand on the goal that was called back? Well, first off, there were there were several instances in Stanley Cup Finals history. You go back to that controversial game winner, game six in overtime by Brett Hall. Was it a kicking motion? Was his skate in the crease kind of deal? And then in 2004, Calgary thought they had game six all locked up, the Stanley Cup ch- championship banner all locked up. Um, they thought the puck uh, completely crossed the goal line. Um, the refs thought differently, um, and Tampa ended up winning that game and ended up winning game seven. So there have been a lot of plays where you go back and there's a lot of controversy to it. The refs made an honest mistake. You're right. They did get robbed. That goal should have counted. There wasn't anything to debate. It was legit. The puck was alive. The ref just blew the whistle far too soon. But you cannot go back and overturn that call because it says black and white in the rule book. When the whistle is blown, play is blown dead. Everything that happens after that is irrelevant. And the whistle had blown dead. Uh, the blown the play dead. That should not have counted. As much I, as it I, should have, it shouldn't have counted. I remember Guy Boucher freaking out. I forget which game it was, where the the refs called for somebody who was injured or something. And the, the Senators had the puck, and according to the rules, it shouldn't have happened that way. But there's been some odd calls. Dirk Bentley, we've talked about this, about how these country stars were really coming out in a big way for the Predators. And I don't, I'm sure you saw the footage of, yeah, I think they call it Lower Broadway, the street going up from the Bridgestone Arena, just yeah. packed. It made Jurassic Park look tiny, right? Packed with fans. And then... All these country um, celebrities coming out for the games, and you think some of them have got to be bandwagon types. Dirk Bentley is not, and he was furious, and he's posting on social media last night after the game, picture of the refs, and asking if Curly, Larry, and Moe, the Three Stooges, get their name on the cup as well. <laughs> well, uh, no doubt Pittsburgh had some help. If that goal, if that goal counts, that changes the momentum of the game because it's one nothing. You got the crowd into it. That was a pivotal turning point for Pittsburgh. And, and to be fair, Colton Sissons, he had some chances to score after that. He had a breakaway, and Murray stopped him. He hit the post as well, I think in the third period or something along those lines, uh, late stages of the game. And the more Pittsburgh was hanging around, you just thought, you know what, it's just going to come down to a fluky play. And a couple of seconds before Pittsburgh scored the one nothing goal, and I saw there was an opening, I'm just thinking, oh, no, it's going to end on this play. And sure enough, it did. But uh, – Again, you can't go back now, and overturn he, this call because if you go back and overturn a plain and simple rule that you know you overturn on a call based on the fact, oh, I blew the whistle too soon, the whistle is blown, the play dead. You can't go back and overturn a simple rule in the game. It, it's then, not, every, it, then, then you can overturn any rule you want. And who knows what would happen in in other instances? Yes, how it, what would happen? After the play. Absolutely. Or after the whistle, you know, if the whistle hadn't been blown. It's, That's it's what I'm a, trying it's to say. It's a sucky, sucky uh, way to end a year. But then also the uh, the first goal by Pittsburgh was reviewed. For goalie interference, yes. Yeah, was he? Yeah, and, and he did, you know, sorry, the Patrick... Um, Hornquist. Hornquist. He did Former Predator, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and I saw him in an interview uh, afterwards talking about how you know, he loved it because he says, you know, it's like being back home. My daughter's born here, all of this. Well, he loved it because he won. But he backs up and uh, 
and hits Rene, and then he falls down. Hornquist is able to get around behind the net and shoot the puck back in. He just had better reaction time. So it was likely the right call there. Yeah, there's it's just not much definitive goaltender interference to say, okay, if he makes enough contact, does he actually prevent Pecorine from making the play? It was just such a bang-bang play. It's it's really tough to tell if there's definitive goalie interference. Like, you know, Pierre Laviolette, you know, with a minute 35 left in the game, you got your timeout. Pittsburgh's already taken theirs, of course. You know, if that's your last calling card, you know, then give it all you got. It's game six. You know, your your team might lose uh, if you don't at least try and overturn this call. Um, you know, I give him full credit, but there just wasn't enough on that play to overturn it. And frankly, it wasn't an overtime dagger, but it sure felt like it. Let me ask you about uh, the Senators going forward because I was hearing Terry Marcotte and uh, Lee Sage mm-hmm. talk about this in the 6 o'clock news on CTV that uh, they've asked Dion Phaneuf to waive his no-trade clause. But it's not exactly – that doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to get rid of him. No, no. What's interesting is that – Players with no movement clauses are automatically protected in the expansion draft, which happens on awards night. That's this, not this Wednesday, the Wednesday after June 21st. Mm-hmm. And they need to submit their uh, uh, list of protected players, all 30 teams, by I think it's 5 p.m. on Friday, at least Friday. And um, so Ottawa's going to need their list. Like Mark andre Fleury, the Penguins, he already okayed um, the right to waive his no trade. So that would ex- that would um, expose him to the expansion draft. The thing with Dion Phaneuf is he's getting paid $7.25 million on average per year. Vegas isn't going to take that for a top-four defenseman. So they can use the, the protection option on a player like Cody Ceci, who, if, they, if Phaneuf doesn't waive his no trade, will probably be exposed by Las, uh, and available for Las Vegas to take. So, so that's why they're making Do you think this there's move. some kind of deal going on where Phaneuf is going to know he won't be traded? Or um, he won't be picked I, I by Vegas? I think they're probably pretty confident that uh, Vegas isn't going to take $7.25 million. I mean, they they got to work the cap like everyone else. Yeah, but you also get Dion Phaneuf. Well, that's true. But like he's he's a good top four defenseman, but he's not like a good solid defenseman. That I, I don't know if he's a good solid defenseman to lead your team. I mean, the Leafs did that for a couple of years and... It, that didn't I, turn out. I, so well. I think he was one of the leaders on the Senators. All he through he the was, playoffs, but so. uh, they they also have Carlson and Mathot, so that exactly. puts less pressure on Phaneuf to do his job. And, and if you are the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights, is that the team name? Uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, Vegas Gold. If you're the Vegas Golden Knights, you you don't necessarily want to take a guy who's towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. You do want Cody Ceci. I mean, yeah. you're, you're going to want some experience, and, and you'll sign those guys, and you'll find them. Mm-hmm. But in this expansion draft, you really want the guys that are just starting to hit their full stride. Yeah, and you can only pick one player from each team. That's mm. the trick there. So they they really got to be wise with uh, their picking. I, I'm I'm my biggest concern is they're going to take a Chris Weidman or a Freddie Clayson, one of um like a fifth or a sixth defenseman that has got a lot of upside, isn't getting paid much, and hasn't even come close to hitting his stride. That's my biggest fear. Well, as Dean Brown has explained to me on many occasions, the man educates me on hockey because, well, I'm an idiot and that's what he does. Uh, 20% of the team expect 20% turnover between now 
and when the um, training camp starts in September. Mm-hmm. All right, Elsie, thanks so much. When we come back, time for your calls, your emails, your thoughts, your tweets. Are you tweeting at me? I haven't been on the Twitter machine. 521-TALK, 521-8255. We'll line up the topics when we come back. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Our constituents must know that a president who orders their sons and daughters into harm's way is not acting out of concern for his own business. They must know that we will not enter into a treaty with another nation because the president owns a golf course there. That is the Attorney General of Maryland, Brian Frosch, who sounds like he is a first-year law student, given the way he's talking about his lawsuit against Donald Trump, because the the Attorney General from Maryland and the District of Columbia have jointly launched a federal lawsuit in Maryland claiming that Donald Trump is not constitutionally viable as president because he is violating the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution, which prohibits the president and other government employees from accepting foreign gifts and payments without congressional approval. This is about direct payments to the president. They don't want, they did not want, they do not want someone just jumping in and paying off the president to say, hey, take a dive, will you? Take a dive. What's, what's Trump doing? Oh, he still owns hotels, and sometimes foreigners will stay there, so therefore he can't be president. This has already been looked at by courts and dismissed. Now it's just being relaunched with two high-profile Democrats at the front of it. Let's make no mistake about it. This is partisan politics. This is the lawfare of the left. They use the courts as weapons, and that's what they're doing here. This is a nuisance suit against Donald Trump to try and shut things down. Now, speaking of courts, and, and if you want to comment on that, you want to comment on the left's Trump derangement system, or syndrome, Trump derangement syndrome, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-CFRA. Beyond the news at CFRA.com is the email address. Speaking of courts, though, we are now losing... Our Supreme Court Chief Justice Beverly McLaughlin, who instead of waiting until the mandatory retirement age of 75 in September of next year, is going to step down come mid-December. Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould saying it's too soon to talk about who's going to replace McLaughlin on the high court. I think uh, questions about uh, the replacement of the Chief Justice or questions for tomorrow today is... uh a day to celebrate her legacy, what she's contributed to our country and its and its evolution. And I'll be forever grateful to have had the opportunity to work with her. I was cheering when I heard about McLaughlin retiring. Hey, excellent. Excellent. She's such an activist judge. She's such a liberal activist judge. And then I realized Justin Trudeau gets to pick her successor. 
both as chief, who is the chief justice and who's going to replace her on the court. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Do you think that conservatives have to be more, do they have to take the court more seriously in terms of appointments? Would love to hear from you on that. And of course, Kathleen Wynne, can we afford her anymore? She's just given 35,500 public sector workers in the province seven and a half percent raises. Why? To try and win the next election. Even Smokey Thomas, the union boss, says that's what it's about. I understand that that is the that's the frame that uh, you might want to put on this. You know, my my position has always been since I've since I've been in elected politics has been that good working relationships with our labor partners is good for the people of the province. And it's even better for you because it's that cycle of money to the union, back to you, back to the union. And it's always our money. It's always our money. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Dave in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Well, again, I'll save my comment for the Supreme Court to last because it's going to be very short. But the uh, provincial political scene, uh, you know, we know, of course, as you pointed out just now, that uh, Wynn is sort of feathering her nest again and, and uh, pad, padding her, her constituents, so to speak. Well, did you know she also just gave um, the teachers a, um, a 4% wage hike? Yeah. And $275 million in extra funding? Well, here's where I'm looking at it. I'm not pushing the panic button yet. There's still time for the PCs to turn things around. I don't think that the, the new party that uh, Jack went to is going to uh, make a big, big difference in terms of vote splitting. I don't think it has a big enough constituency yet. Uh, so I'm looking at the other well, two parties. And, and they've, I mean, it takes a while to organize a party. And yeah, I they, think they in won't... the last election, all of the splinter parties collectively got 1.5 percent of the vote they they won't be they won't be a a a major influence on anything yet so looking at two possibilities i'm watching nervously i don't think when is going to win the thing i think it's it's gone too far if we look at other elections trump uh, out west in bc rachel notley uh what happened to this the spanking that uh, may got in england uh, that the French turn around and, you know, it's happening all over the place. People are fed up with the status quo. And I, I really think that Kathleen Wynne is going to fall to that. How far she'll fall, I don't know. Two scenarios to look at if the PCs don't win is a liberal minority. I don't think that the, um, that the NDPs will get a majority. So the other possibility is an NDP minority. But whichever one gets the minority is not going to team up with the PCs for support, those two are going to hook together. I'm worried about any scenario where the left retains power in Ontario because let's just go over the list again of all the things that she's promising. Uh, boost to daycare funding. She she wants free daycare or, or to make it more like Quebec's system. Free mm-hmm. post-secondary tuition. Free prescription drugs for your kids under, I think it's 26. 25, I think. Yeah, 20, yeah the hydro cut. The hydro cut that is being turned into a a debt ball and that's going to take us decades to get out of. Rent control, minimum wage, giant rubber ducks. We can't afford her. Exactly. So 
but yeah, I'm, I'm not. Con- I'm not like pushing the panic button yet, but I'm nervously concerned and watching very closely. And uh, the, the the recent three elections that the PCs have gotten gotten lost in, uh, you know, Tory Hudak uh, sort of thing. You know, they better not blow it again. You know, it's, it's again, it's theirs to lose. I really hope they don't. Now, last thing before I go. Yeah, Chief Justice. The Chief Justice. I don't know if they can probably appoint somebody out of the Supreme Court who's got Supreme Court experience. I guess they can go either way and do that or appoint somebody new at the top. But I've got a suggestion for them. I don't want to say it too loud. They might be listening. But there's a certain person I know of who's a lawyer, who's practiced law, who's taught law in universities, and her name is Madeline Mayer. (laughs) <laughs> oh, she's from from the wrong part of the country, but they've said that they don't care about that anymore as long as they can get the diversity that they want. Well, she's a woman. She's 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 got all the legal qualifications. Lawyer, you know. Uh, yeah, she law taught professor. at U of O. Yeah. No, uh, she 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 got cabinet experience, so she, she's very well versed in. Um, government uh, affairs and stuff. Well, maybe she can start uh, meeting with Jerry Butts, taking mm-hmm. Katie Telford out for coffee. It worked well for yeah. her last time. Yeah, nothing else, nothing, nothing works like kissing butts, eh? <laughs> Thanks for the call, Dave. Bye-bye. 521 Talk, 521 8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1 800 580 CFRA. Join the conversation. Come on, give me a call. Give me some be little loving. Back after this. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. The Bachelor returns to paradise. Paradise, let's go! Excited for the chaos because there will be chaos. Chaos or a canceled show? Oh, I mentioned this off the top of the show. This Bachelor in Paradise. It's a spinoff of The Bachelor where they take the rejects from The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and then instead of it being one guy and twenty girls or one girl and twenty guys, they just take if you're kicked off The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, they throw all the men and women in together. They have all kinds of booze available to them at this resort-type place, and people get drunk and hook up. And guess what happened? I was thinking, how bad does it have to be for a show where this is what's encouraged? How bad does it have to be for them to say, oh, we, uh, something inappropriate happened? Because uh, that, first, that's all they were saying. Something inappropriate happened. Like the entire show? Well, now the claim is that one of the male participants in the show had sex with a female participant of the show. And TMZ is reporting that um, may have been too drunk to consent. This is on the set of Bachelor Bachelor, um, in Paradise in Mexico. They're shooting around a pool is what I've read elsewhere. And 
people are that drunk that they're engaging in sex and being in a pool. There's an awful lot wrong with what's going on there. And they've got staff watching them, following them around. I don't understand this show. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. John in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Good evening. And in regards to that, I'll make one quick comment. Their morals are in the toilet. Okay, on with mine. Yeah. Uh, today I happened to be out, and in spite of it being a hot day, just in a walk, I happened to encounter three individuals taking a break, uh, a well-deserved break, mind you, but uh, they work for a particular large um, drugstore chain, of which will remain nameless. But in any case, I said something like, oh, I see you guys are out enjoying your afternoon, you know, uh, and pretty nice out. And the guy says, um, yeah, taking a break while we can, at least while we're here. I said, why, what's going on? He said, well, you know that raise thing when they, they want to pull the wages and bring them up to 15? Yep. I said, yeah. He looked at the other two employees, and he said, well, we've already been told that when that happens, all three of us have to go. So I guess we won't see you anymore soon. I said, wow, really, eh? And thanks to Kathleen Wynn. I, I'm not shocked. You know, John, I was yeah. in a Walmart over the weekend. Yeah. And, and manure is starting to hit the fan. Well, so Walmart, on a, on, on a busy weekend afternoon. Yeah. And you know what? How many cash registers were open with an actual person working them? Probably four. One. Really, eh? But the self-checkouts were all oh, yeah, open. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We're going to see more yeah. and more of that. But self-checkouts now, they're also reducing the hours where they'll actually take cash from you because of the amount of thievery that's going on. And Loblaws is one that's particularly hit. But they seem to be just looking for the invitation for all thievery to happen there because they're getting closer and closer with the goods to the sidewalk. They've now taken up their lobby way with nothing but extras. Yeah, well, you know, that, I don't know. And, un- and they wonder why the stuff disappears. Leaving it outside, maybe? Well, Thanks for the call, John. <laughs> Take care. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Guy, the Capital Voice, you're on Beyond the News. Hey, Brian, I got a great idea for a new reality show. You know what they should do is they should take all the contestants that don't make it on The Biggest Loser and, and then send them to uh, a food truck competition. be almost the same thing, wouldn't it? What, where they have to eat stuff? Yeah. So instead of drinking booze and getting crazy, you just send the people that don't want to eat the losers <laughs> to the biggest loser to the biggest food truck. Oh, man. Just Carnival kidding. Eats. Go Just eat kidding. a Carnival Eats. David stole my thunder, that bugger. We think alike, I'll tell you. Madeline Mayer for Supreme Court Justice. Wouldn't that be something? Terrifying is what it would be. Terrifying. It, was, it would be unbelievable. You know, she'd read her decisions, and, and you'd have to get a translator in both official languages. <laughs> you know, you really would. I, I couldn't tell you the quality of her French, but, I, you know, as I explained before, her English, not up to par. Not for well, the job maybe, she was looking for. Well, maybe Natalie DeRosier could give her a, a hand there with her official bilingualism, a uh, little pulpit there that she's uh, hearkening these days. But David, I must say, he's got a great sense of humor. I miss that. I miss, uh, miss him, him a lot. I'm glad he, that he calls in. But, uh, no, I just wanted to call in. I heard you were at Britannia Beach with the family. I, I saw you on Facebook I, this I, weekend. I posted a photo on Facebook of the, uh, the sunset at Britannia Beach and just asked people. It was 
Try and have fun on social media as well. Yeah. What, you know, where else, you know, what are the good spots? I forget what I wrote, but, you know, basically asking people. And, uh, and a few people joined in of their favorite spots, their peaceful spots, uh, some straight across the country. So that post is still up there. Go check it out. It's a little gem, that Britannia Beach, Brian. If you get there early enough during the day, they've got lots of facilities. The Ron Colbus Center there, you've got the showers. And, and uh, you know, it's it's a real, you know, you know it's that Britannia Beach has been there almost 100 years, eh? Has it? There's, there's old pictures of, um, of Britannia Beach when the only way that the people who couldn't afford cars could get down there was by the trolley system. And there used to be two beaches and um, changing places, and uh, that's where Ottawa, and I'm sure Shirley will, will talk about that as well, but that's where the poor people used to go in the summer when they didn't have air conditioning or uh, a, a uh, good pool. It was no lifeguard on duty, no tests of what the water quality was. Nobody cared yesterday. Thanks for the call, oh, guy. One, Brian, one quick, yep. just, on, just on a finish. I have a, do, a really good suggestion for, for Justine and, uh, and Jerry. Erwin uh, Kotler, I think, would make the best uh, I, Supreme Court. He's justice. from Quebec. They only get three seats. Oh, really? There's got to be a Western one, Western Canadian. Oh, I'll dear. talk about that when I come back. Thanks okay. for the call, guy. Got to run up against the news break. More of your calls when we come back. 521 Talk, 521 8255, Star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1 800 580 CFRA. A rebel? You know it. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Hey, people are suggesting Madeline Mayer, Erwin Kotler, um, you know, for... I I love the joke about Madeline Mayer going to the Supreme Court, but... uh, the the province of Quebec gets three seats in the Supreme Court. Ontario generally gets three. The Atlantic provinces get one. And the western provinces get two. I don't know how long that will stay, but that's generally how they are handed out. So Ontario gets three, Quebec gets three, four Atlantic provinces split one, and the four western provinces split two. Beverly McLaughlin was appointed from Alberta. She is originally from British Columbia, but her career as a judge, I thought, oh no, she's from Alberta, but yeah, yes, her her uh, judicial career was in British Columbia. The other judge is, from the West is Russell Brown. He was appointed, uh, he's from British Columbia, but his judicial career was in Alberta. He replaced Marshall Rothstein, who was from Manitoba. So they're going to look for somebody from out west most likely. But then again, they may look in another direction completely. I love the the tweet by Andrew Coyne, and I don't always. But Coyne was tweeting about the Supreme Court process in Canada and what it's like compared to elsewhere. And he says, in U.S., when there's a Supreme Court judge, what is the next Supreme Court judge's legal philosophy, quality of rulings, etc.? In Canada, what's their gender, race, region? That's what it comes down to. Has nothing to do if they're if they're a good judge. These are the qualities. 
It's unreal. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-CFRA. Frank and Grilly, you're on Beyond the News. Hey, how you doing, Brian? I'm good. So what are you wow. going to do now that hockey's all done? Oh, my gosh. It's great on Crosby and the Penguins, man. You know, great game. You know, like I'm talking about like the controversy about the Predators' goal, but, see, I played hockey myself. In the playoffs, uh, the official... Has the right to call, you know, once goalie, I know it was Forsberg, I believe, who shot the puck. So it dropped in the crease. So the, you know. Uh, the the ref was on no, the no, other but, side. No, no, he, the, yeah, the referee. like the he, he, he thought the puck was dead, so That's we blew right, the whistle. That's right, so then there's no goal. You know, it's just the way it is. Still, still you got to, if you're the Predators, you got to feel robbed, though. Well, I don't know about that. It's only a one goal game. Actually, they could have scored. Uh, and they earlier. did have they did have four power plays, and they didn't yeah, score on that. They them. had other chances as well, so it's no big deal. Like, All right, uh, what, what do you do now that hockey's over, Frank? Um, what I do. You, uh, you're going to be watching the Red Blocks now. Uh, going to ride, uh, bike ride or something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Take care, bud. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-CFRA. George from the Prior is calling in, and he's calling in about everyone getting fat. So I'm wondering if that means that, yeah, he's got a solution. George, do you have a solution to everyone getting fat? If you follow the weather patterns as you are now, with the data that they've given now, and you follow it correctly, in two years, it'll be a worldwide food shortage. In other words, you're gonna, your fat's not going to last that long. Because look at Venezuela, all the problems, they, all the weight they lost there from just their problems. An average of 19 pounds. Had nothing yeah. to do with the weather, though. It has no, to but, do with uh, socialism. The weather is going to change that much so that uh, you'll, you'll have worldwide food shortage in less than two years. I would you know, say eight, but uh, uh, that, I'm thinking what the professionals say, uh, too. These are the same people that told us that uh, that Britain would not see snow anymore by the time 2014 came around. Last no, I no, checked, no, I'm dealing they... with the, I'm dealing with the Looney Fringe people that deal in weather. They're more accurate. <laughs> so I, I I I said there was going to be heavy floods here in the, in the Iron Prior area, and not nine months before anybody was even talking about it. And you didn't want me to call and talk about that kind of stuff, so I held back on the weather stuff. There's, there's a whole pile of stuff out there, fun stuff. So you're you're saying food shortages worldwide? Two years. Um, I I I just always um, that's, am skeptical. That's what they're saying. That's not what I I would say eight, but I I go with their two because they're more professional. Than I I uh, they have better graphs. I'm just skeptical of doom and gloom predictions because they happen so often and yet rarely come true. Well, that's, this has to do doom and gloom. It has to do with. Uh, uh, weather patterns and coldness and graphs and a whole pile of other stuff. Yeah. Well, are we going to be able to grow more food here? Uh, probably not. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call, George. Okay. Bye. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. I'm amazed that nobody's called in on this crazy lawsuit that's been launched against Donald Trump. It's just yet another Maybe that's why. Maybe people are just tuning out now. But Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch, I want to play this clip for you again. He's filed a lawsuit along with his colleague, District of uh, Columbia Attorney General Carl Racine, 
alleging that Trump's business entanglements while president have undermined public trust and violated constitutional bans, the emolument clause. Here's Frosch. Never in our history has a president maintained a domestic and international business empire where his personal interests are tangled up with the policy interests of our country or where those personal interests could affect decisions about every aspect of American life. Reading from Brian Frosch's Wikipedia page, he's an American politician from Maryland and a member of the Democratic Party. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. He's a member of the Democratic Party. So is his colleague that's helping launch this lawsuit. What do, do you think this is about the law, or do you think this is about lawfare? I'm going to go with lawfare for 100, Alex. Lawfare for 100. They're just trying to harass Donald Trump so much that he can't actually do his job. 521 Talk, 521 8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1 800 580 CFRA. The email address, beyond the news, at CFRA.com. Back after this. Official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So I was saying at the beginning of the show that we can't afford Kathleen Wynne anymore. We can't afford her rubber duckies. We can't afford her bribing civil servants with our money to get their vote. We can't afford her bribing us with our money to get our votes with free prescriptions for kids and free child care and free post-secondary tuition and so on and so on and so on. We really need to be able to get rid of Kathleen Wynne. Now, there are some that are moving on to start other parties saying that they can't uh, back the Ontario PCs anymore. Jack McLaren, well, Jack was on his way out the door anyway before he was fired. He was literally looking for what to do, and he's admitted that. There was a piece in the, the Ottawa Sun on the weekend about that, or late last week. There was also a good piece, and I posted this on Facebook, from Jeremy Roberts calling for young people to get engaged in politics and the lessons that he learned from working alongside Jim Flaherty. Well, right now there is another group. They're not starting a new party. They're not joining the Trillium Party, which is like taking over a shell company. They call themselves the PC Grassroots. They've started a Twitter account. They're sending out emails. They are are tweeting up a storm, but all in an attempt to try and 
correct the Ontario PC party so that it is ready. Their latest one, they're trying to convince federal conservative members that live in Ontario to get involved in the Ontario PCs and change things that way. They're also trying to get, and this is a big, big, um, well, it's probably not going to happen. It's a big leap for this to happen, considering who we're talking about. They're trying to get Patrick Brown to discipline Bob Stanley. Who's Bob Stanley? Close friend of Patrick Brown's and the executive director of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. He's the guy who's been in charge in conducting nominations across Ontario where there have been problems. So they've sent a letter to every no, every riding board across the province asking that they stand up and help demand that Bob Stanley actually be disciplined. I want to read to you from that letter. It says, speak up now. Bob Stanley is frustrating and stripping away power from local riding associations. Executive director of the PCPO, Bob Stanley, has been leading the charge in conducting nominations across Ontario. By now, you and your riding association are no doubt aware that he has been at the center of corrupt practices across the province, including ballot box stuffing, allowing people from other cities to be on the eligible voters list and ridings far beyond the areas in which they live, and making nomination day rulings in direct contrast to the PC party constitution. Mr. Stanley's actions have damaged the party publicly and diminished our party's chances of winning in 2018, they write. In addition, they have put the leader in an awkward position with his recent decision to appoint all 64 previously nominated candidates thus far. If you remember, that was Patrick Brown's reaction to the call for a redo of the vote in Ottawa, West Nepean. He just said, everybody's appointed now. They go on. As a result, the leader has expressly endorsed these fraudulent activities, thereby accepting uh, the further erosion of power and influence of local riding associations. PC riding associations across Ontario are now less able to serve in the best interest of the local members. It's unclear whether Patrick Brown will allow this pattern to continue. So now is the time to stand up for local. um, Hold on. Uh stand up for local constitutional responsibilities and tell the leader's office that Bob Stanley and his goons should be stopped and appropriately disciplined. Their actions have been detrimental to getting strong PC candidates nominated and elected. If we don't act now, we risk these thugs further alienating our members. Interesting take on this. Interesting decision to go public, to really push and try and say, Something has to be done. Which side do you fall on? We don't have time for calls anymore, but drop me a line beyond the news at CFRA.com. We all want one thing, and that's Kathleen Wynne gone. Well, do you go vote NDP? Do you vote for the Ontario PCs? Do you join Jack McLaren going to the Trillium Party or one of these other parties? I keep telling you there's another one coming, and they keep delaying. But we had Jay Tizuk in, and he says it's still coming. Do you go with one of the splinter parties? Do you stick with the PCs? Do you try and reform them? Do you go to the NDP? Drop me a line 
beyondthenews at cfra.com, beyondthenews at cfra.com, and let me know where you are on this. Stefan wrote in about the refugee situation in Trudeau. He says, Justin Trudeau's just using these refugees like pawns in a chess game. He really doesn't care if they succeed or not. It doesn't matter to him as long as it helps him feel good and score political points. I would actually have to agree with that. He goes on to describe how it would be more humane if we were to help secure uh, a safe location near their home country, around people that speak their language, part of their culture. That's what most most people have not left the region because they want to go home. Very right on that. And as far as the United States goes, uh, Carolyn writes in, Brian, I think America has become unhinged, feels like it's a world going mad. That's because it is. And uh, final email from B writes, Judge Napolitano already told the world Maryland has no case against Trump. There's a Fox video attesting to this. I'll try and find it, send it to you. Hey, I've already said it has no chance either as well. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for participating. Back at it again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember, I'm on your side.